Recorded live. Hello, this is Lisa with Charismatic Woman. We are in the middle of Most Interesting Woman in the World. And today we are going to talk about curiosity. And there's a couple of very specific points about curiosity I want to talk about. I want to talk about curiosity in terms of attractiveness and confidence in kind of a reverse engineered way. And I want to talk about a little bit about what I talked about in the recorded material this week when it comes to being a quote-unquote lie spotter, uh, which is sounds so negative for the vibrational tone, and yet it's so much fun. So I'm not going to say it with that tone anymore. Um, did you guys read the material? I mean, did you listen to the recording? Because I kind of talked about this part a little bit in the recording. I didn't so much in the written material. Did you get a chance to listen to the recording yet? I, I read yeah. the email, yeah. Okay. So the thing about people who are really good in the field or genre of identifying truth versus not truth, um, I mean, there's some training and some skill. There's some cues and some things you watch for. But what we find is that it's the, the most important quality is being able to go into an observation mode from a standpoint of curiosity versus bias. And if we think about that from a law of attraction standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Like we tend to see what we're looking for. So when somebody is, trying to distinguish truth from not truth, if you have a bias that says that you think this, even think if you're wondering if this person is being dishonest, if you've got some sort of preconceived notion that that's a possibility, you are much more likely to pick up on the cues, sort of the physical subconscious biomarkers of dishonesty than if you're just curious about what's going on. It's really easy to get sort of a false read. It's one of the reasons that lie detector tests like the electronic version aren't necessarily as reliable in court as we would like them to be because even the bias of the person who's giving the test can have an outcome on, can have an effect on the outcome of the test, which I think is really, really interesting. Again, from an LOA standpoint, that's kind of fascinating to me. I mean, you can sit one person down for a lie detector and tell the administer or administress, like tell that person who's giving the test, give them information that leads them to believe that this person may be guilty and they're going to want to uncover that in the test. And they will ask a, like a, a preset list of questions, same questions. And you can give that same person with that same preset list of questions or another person, another administer the the questions and put the same person in the seat and you can get a completely different outcome. So you've got the same person being measured in terms of truth and falsehood. You've got the same questions that are being asked and yet the outcome of the lie detector test itself can vary depending on the administer's bias, what they're looking for. Do you guys find that really fascinating? Because I find that super fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, little, it's a little bit Schrodinger's cat. I mean, we're talking about biofeedback. We're talking about things that are really a bit difficult to measure. But it's like if the person 
that's asking you questions is asking you questions from the standpoint of being a little bit suspicious. How you register those questions, how you respond to them, is going to be slightly different. And so outcomes are really a big deal. And I think it all kind of comes down to we have a much more a much broader experience of everything when we come to it without bias. And yet bias is natural. Like the way the brain catalogs information so that it's not on overload every second of every day trying to process all of the data that's being thrown at it. I mean, that kind of bias cataloging is sort of a survival mechanism for the brain. But it also causes us to be just that, very, very biased. It causes us to see things that we expect to see and everything becomes the same in some way. The brain is looking to, to name something that it's named before, sort of an easy cataloging. So, Janet, you want to explain that in a more cohesive way than I just did? I think you just did a great job of explaining it. In fact, I was thinking, man, I think I shall ha I'll have to pinch some of that <laughs> to explain it. But yes, the, there are huge efficiency gains because human brains are extremely complex things and our understanding of the world is a very complex thing as well. And we live complicated lives with lots of moving parts. So the efficiency gains that we get from our brain being able to kind of rely on memory in order to predict the future, which is effectively what it does, it remembers the future. That means that we can drive in traffic, for example, and not have to be calculating every single second as though it were fresh what's going to happen next. We can predict that probably the other drivers are going to stay on the correct side of the road. We can predict that probably the guy who's starting to drift a little bit into our lane is going to change lanes in front of us. So we can lift our foot off the accelerator. These things, we don't have to assess the whole world afresh every single second of every day. That would be a huge cause for insanity. So it's, it's not just a survival mechanism, it's, a, it's an efficiency gain that we can trust, it means we can lean into so much of our world without having to constantly you know, understand it for fresh every single time. And when it comes, but the, it com that comes with a price to pay and the price we pay mm -hmm. is that we begin to believe some of the limiting beliefs that we might have. We assume that some of the stuff we, we think is true um, is the only version of reality. Yeah. And it's when we understand that we, that we get our power back. Right. I think, I mean, very similar to the lie detector and the lie detectors, story is also, have you guys seen that Facebook thing that went around of all of the various photographers that took pictures of the same man? Yeah. And they all saw him based on the story that they had been given, and they photographed that man. And, you know, one photographer was told that he was a parolee trying to get his life back on track. I don't remember the details. You know, one was told that he was a professor. One was told that he was an artist. And when you got these pictures together at the end of this experiment, it was difficult. I mean, it, some of them didn't even look like the same human. Like the mm -hmm. perspective of the photographer based on the story that they had been told changed the outcome of even the photographs because that bias of what we believe is so strong. Sorry about that. 
So, I mean, the cost, I think that what you, the way you put it is really accurate. There is a cost, there's a price to pay for the sort of cataloging business that our brains do. And so it's, it's all about finding that balance. And I think the safest, both the gentlest way to find balance is through this attitude or lens of curiosity. I mean, when we're cataloging everything, everything becomes very predictable. Everything sort of starts to get, you sort of move out of technicolor and sort of drift off into black and white. You quit noticing the rich, juicy fabric that is sort of, that lays over reality. You, and it makes it much more difficult to learn and be creative. And so by adopting this lens of curiosity, how does that work? Or even the curiosity about maybe I'm wrong or maybe I don't know. Those kinds of questions allow us to pick up details that make us more interesting and interested in everything that's going on around us. And it seems like such a subtle shift that it's almost minute, but it's actually a really profound shift in terms of how we're experiencing almost everything. I mean, I know as a coach, there is a big difference in my level of satisfaction after I finish a session. If I'm doing that session from a place of curiosity or if I'm doing a session from the place of same old, same old, I know how this goes. I've heard this story before. I, I know where this, like, that's very different. My satisfaction goes way up if I can start in that place of curiosity. So I'm going to kind of go around the room and share thoughts so far. And Jamie, you're kind of new, but everybody has to talk. That's the deal here. So your first, girlfriend. Thoughts so far <laughs> on curiosity and satisfaction? Um, what you just said made complete sense to me. And it's something that I want to, I just want to be amazing at going into sessions um, without judgment and without any sort of um, expectation about what I want to hear. Um, Because, you know, you can get so excited for someone that you just like, you just can't wait for them to hit certain milestones. It's like, it's, palpable. And I want to make sure that I'm always presenting an incredibly supportive judgment-free zone of of curiosity and acceptance. Kind of like you were just talking about the curiosity as opposed to um, thinking, oh, here come the excuses or, oh, I've heard this story before or, oh, you know, like, and, and, um, and, and, putting it under, you know, this microscope with this judgment. I think that that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, another question that I ask myself, and I ask myself this in my, in my coaching sessions, but I also ask myself this question routinely when it comes to my kid, is mm, what are you going yeah. to do or say that's going to surprise me today? Well, how, and, and I mean, even that question, if I start my day with my interactions through the lens of how are you going to delight me or surprise mm-hmm. me today, then I'm looking for that information. I mean, he might have exactly the same day, but if I haven't like 
flipped that switch to curiosity, I might miss the very delightful thing that he's offering up because my same old, same old lens is is working really well. It's, you know, Absolutely. I, I love that point. That's a perfect, very applicable for me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, welcome to the wonderful world if we have kids that age. Janet, <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts? It's just, uh, what I'm loving about this conversation is when I first started learning about brain and the brain and how it works and how it does all these things, it was tempting to kind of think that I had to see it as a disadvantage, you know, that, that this tendency we have to, or the, the tendency our brains have to sort of expect the same, more of the same. I, I began, I started out seeing that as a disadvantage that I had to somehow control or change. And for me, I, what I like is the remembering or reminding myself that 90% of the time, my brain's doing stuff for my benefit that I don't have to think about. And it's only a small, it's only a small percentage, if you like, of the stuff that I actually do need to or want to change in some way. So I like this idea, the, the, the thing I say quite regularly to myself as well as to my clients because you know my brain is still going to do what it does is um, something along the lines of don't believe everything you think um, and I really like the idea that I can trust probably 90% you know of all the ordinary everyday day-to-day stuff like when I turn a light switch on the lights probably going to come on I don't have to stop and think about that it's only the things that I don't like where I can sort of go, you know what, I can choose to exercise curiosity here. And and that's probably, that will feel like I'm exercising curiosity all the time, if that makes sense. It's like the the, the stuff I want to, I, I don't want to change 100% of my life. I only want to be open to things changing in probably about 10% of my life. There's so much already going right day in, day out that... Um, that's not getting my attention because I don't need, you know, I like I don't need to think about it because it's working. So I like this idea that um, of being really, of feeling grateful to my brain for what it does and then going, and I'm going to get curious and that's going to allow me to get, to break free of any preconceived things that are not serving me. I can, I can keep the 90% that is serving me and just, play with the bits that aren't and that feels really good I like that Holly can you hear me <laughs> everything's gone I very quiet I was just going to say did we lose Lisa maybe no, I'm wondering so. I'm talking Lisa, away and I was muted oh <laughs> I was saying really smart things. No, I mean, what I was saying was, I'm guessing that for me, it's probably not higher than 90%. Like, probably 97% of everything is awesome. And that Mm. thought that I can use curiosity as a, as a way of addressing whatever, whatever's not quite satisfactory or not quite pleasing is, I do like that a lot. Nikki, what are your thoughts? You know, I really like uh, the addressing that curiosity, obviously, A, because it just keeps you open, 
and then B, you know, it just helps as a creative person too because oftentimes I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and those are kind of things I've done before creativity-wise. But just because um, inspiration can strike anywhere, and so I think that helps to, to get me out of like sometimes my creative ruts or look at something differently just by being curious mm-hmm. and not having that, I guess, preconceived, you know, judgment or, or knowledge about something. Right. You know, you're being elastic and then learning, too. Yeah. I think knowledge is such an interesting thing. I mean, the more you think you know something, the less, you're, the less, the less your brain flips the switch to continue to learn about that thing. Mm-hmm. Anything that I think I know, absolutely, I've, been, I've clamped down my horizons on that particular subject. And I, liked, I like to know stuff. Like if I, that might be one of my core values is being the person who knows the most about X, Y, and Z in a room makes me sound like a bad person. <laughs> but the more, the more frequently I do that, I am, I am not open. My brain is literally not open for business on that particular subject. And my guess is that the more often I do that, my brain probably closes down for business on other subjects around it also not just one specific thing where I've shut down my ability to process or accept new information, but it's things that kind of bounce around the perimeter of that that also start to get pretty closed down, shut down pretty tight. So, I mean, it all kind of gave me some thoughts. I mean, I, I recently read, and this was a not really a study. I mean, it was more like a very extensive survey about confident women. And I mean, we've talked a lot in this group about confidence and confident women and why that's attractive. But um, University of South Carolina did a study on confident women recently and why confident women are so attractive. And I think we've all got some preconceived notions about why everybody finds confident women attractive. I think I had some preconceived notions about why everybody thinks confident women are attractive. And I think that fundamentally, kind of at my core level, I felt it was because they carried themselves differently, which is partially true. I mean, you know, they may be willing to step out, take risks. They have better posture, you know, all of those things that we typically attribute to attractiveness, I think confident women typically rock that. But in this sort of, sort of very extensive psychological survey, they came, something rose to the top that seems really obvious to me that I hadn't actually considered before, is that confident women aren't focused on their own issue. Like a confident woman doesn't walk into a room and start freaking out about what she's wearing or how she looks or what people are thinking about her, or what have you. Confident women are, by default, have a lot more bandwidth on board to be very curious about others because they are not directing their energy inwards towards their own self, you know, their own issues, their self-consciousness. So what... The study or the survey basically illustrated is that the reason people are attracted to confident women, 
and I'm assuming confident men also, but I mean, the study was done about on female counterparts, is that women who are confident express a lot more curiosity and a lot more genuine interest in the other person. They're not hung up on their insecurities. They have the bandwidth to do that. So curiosity makes your experience, your personal experience, more diverse, more dimensional, but it also creates a lot more diversity and dimensionality in terms of how other people experience you. I mean, one of the questions that was asked in this survey is, can you fake confidence by being curious? And they found that that may be the easiest way to fake confidence because it's such a subconscious sort of benchmarker in terms of the way other people are perceiving you. So when I think about feeling very self-conscious or people I know who feel very self-conscious, they aren't curious. I'm not curious. So faking the confidence may be about curiosity more than anything else. And if we want to be dynamically attractive in the world, the easiest way to do that is probably by expressing a lot of genuine curiosity about other people because we're not focused on ourselves. So that was a mouthful. I'm going to toss this one back around. Jamie, thoughts on that? I just, that was I really, really like that. I like the, um, the when you started talking about um, them not being hung up on their own issues, I like my brain sort of went to, yeah, I wonder if that has anything. It was a little ADD moment because I was kind of like, ooh, and I wonder if it relates at all to um, people pleasing, like confident people. Maybe they don't people please, and I just sort of went off in my own little world. But then I came back to what you were saying. But I just loved it because it makes so much sense, and yet kind of like you, it never occurred to me. And kind of um, what you were saying, my instinct when you said, you know, what do you think the survey results were, what what makes someone, um, I forget the initial question, but my my initial gut um, reaction was, um, yeah, that they, you know, like the walk tall, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And then when you said that, I was just kind of like, yes, that makes so much sense. They're not hampered down. They're not wasting their energy focusing on what they're doing and how they look or how they're coming across. They're just letting all that energy exude out of them. Anyways, mm-hmm. I thought that makes a lot of sense. It's not, in, it's not inward, it's outward. And let's yeah. face it, humans like attention. So when mm-hmm. you're engaging with somebody who's really focused on themselves, Maybe not for bad reasons, not because they're narcissistic or self-centered, but because they're self-conscious and lack confidence, you're, they're, you're still not getting attention from them. Their attention is flowing inward. And mm-hmm. so we are attracted to people who pay attention to us. That's a very subconscious dynamic response. I mean, the, the question in the study was what makes a confident woman more attractive? And mm-hmm. You know, I think posture is awesome, like sexy, a sexy walk, that's great. But at the end of the day, that's not really it. So, Janet, your thoughts? Well, I think this is a brilliant, brilliant um, uh, 
uh, a perspective and I totally I was actually thinking about the last time I went to a networking event uh, in my local town I'm not a fan of networking events uh, partly because there's a there's a sort of superficialness that seems to occur with larger groups um, that that is not my happy place and as I walked into this space I'd made the mistake of wearing some shoes that I didn't love and the description of somebody who was self-conscious walking into that room, that was me, <laughs> totally mm-hmm. and utterly that night. That was totally me. And I could feel it. I could feel that my, I couldn't do anything about it. I was a bit caught up in it, but I could, I could, I could observe it at the time. And now looking back, I'm totally seeing how if I had managed to engage curiosity, I sort of tried, but I, I didn't succeed. Um, if I'd managed to engage curiosity, I would have had an ex- a, a radically different experience of the evening um, from from beginning to end. Uh, so yeah, I, I I I've got a visceral experience of it, and and I and from an intellectual perspective, it totally makes sense to me that curiosity suddenly it just shifts the focus completely. Because the truth is, you know, we know how this works when we think that you know oh my god everybody's thinking about what are they all thinking of me most of them are not thinking about me at all they're thinking about their own stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. so true i had one of those experiences today the worst kind of networking event in the entire world is a mommy group (laughs) (laughs) i love it i it's brutal up in those mommy groups and we have a homeschooling group that we used to go to and Kingston has really wanted to go and it's good for him. I get it, but I hate the mothers. Oh my God. I said that out loud. <laughs> and, I feel oh so God. much better now. <laughs> said that out loud. And I mean, I walked into one of those groups this afternoon, completely shut off. Haven't been there for a long time. They messed up our registration. They didn't know we were coming. His art supplies weren't sitting at the table. It caused a hubbub when we walked in because oh, he yeah. wasn't on the list, you know, and there's all the moms over there in the corner and they're, you know, talking to each other. And here's Lisa, the anti-mom, who, <laughs> like, walks in and gets the shit straight and the paint's down and goes over in the corner and sits by myself. And it's like I had a plan of what I was going to be reading so that I wouldn't be engaged. And really what it was is so that I wouldn't be curious. Wouldn't be curious. And... They could care less if I'm sitting in the corner. I mean, they were not partic- I was not a particularly attractive component in mommy group, as I, you know, usually am not a very attractive component in mommy group. And at some point, I heard one of those women say something about her oldest child having just gotten engaged. And lo and behold, my oldest child just got engaged recently. I mean, curiosity came up, and it wasn't long before some of those barriers started to come down. But I know that when I'm in that closed-off state of not being curious, I I either come off as extremely insecure or the biggest bitch in the world. And oftentimes it's the latter, that I just come off as being aloof and bitchy. But I don't even really feel that way. I kind of do in mom group. But... I mean, generally speaking, I'm not a bitchy person. And the antidote to me coming off that way is curiosity. It's attractive. And 
it makes it makes the whole process of whatever you're doing ever so much more enjoyable. Kind of going back to what we were talking about. I mean, the lack of curiosity dulls the the brain's ability to perceive things that are pleasurable, where curiosity brings pleasure in much more, it's much more accessible from a curious state. Please don't ever repeat that I said I hate the malls. I can't believe I said that. I, I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean, Lisa, because, and I smell an experiment coming on here, uh, <laughs> if you can't tell already. I actually, tomorrow night, I have a, like a ladies' night out. Now, um, I don't know most of the women and the ones that I do know, I only, I barely know, um, because these are all people I've never known, and yet they've all known each other for a long time. Um, but uh, when we moved out here, a friend of mine started inviting me to this monthly thing. And whenever she doesn't go, I, like, shudder, because I hate, like I do, I go into it with the perspective of, I hate this, I don't have my buffer person to make this not awkward for me to try and talk with these people I don't know. But now, after having this conversation, I can't wait. Like, tomorrow, I am going to put my best curious hat on, and I am just going to try and, like, ooze curiosity and, like, get to know these people, because I'm sure that's how they all got to know each other in the first place, is just little by little um, at some point. And um, I think you should do the same at your next mommy group. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's going to be a month. I, you know, I might need a reminder. That's far away. <laughs> what I love but about I, this. Sorry. Go ahead. Go I mean, the byproduct of, of walking into the room and being the most curious woman in the room is how you're perceived is the most confident woman in the room. And I really like oh. that, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like both of them. I mean, the experience is curious, the perception is confident, and that's a win-win. Janet, what were you going to say? I was just going to say what I really love about this is the realizing that, because I can remember years and years ago reading, um, you know, how to win friends and influence people, and the, the core, the core principle of it is be interested in other people, and uh, and just remembering back to those days and how. Uh, when I was trying to implement that, I kind of had to fake it to begin with, but it didn't take long before genuine curiosity kicked in. Because as you just related, Lisa, you suddenly, you know, you overheard something that piqued your interest because you Mm -hmm. have something in common. And there is something about, there's almost something about, you know, that moment where we kind of, we've catalogued a group of people as, you know, somehow very different from us in a way that makes us kind of go, because I would say, Lisa, I'm on the record as saying, I hate the people who go to these networking things. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, I occasionally get reminded that I, I can't possibly say that. I can't possibly have that be true because I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. And from time to time, I will hear something that makes me go, Oh, you're kind of interesting. I want to know more. So when I when I can do that deliberately, and when I can, because I curiosity is a core value for me, and it's sort of embarrassing to admit that I was going to networking events and not 
going with the intention of activating one of my core values. That felt that in hindsight feels a bit dumb. Um, so that same sense of it's got to be genuine curiosity, and sometimes to access that we have to begin by faking it. At least I think I do. I, I'm not going to make that sweeping statement for anyone, but for me, I know that I'm going to have to walk into the next networking event consciously playing the part of somebody who is genuinely curious, and that will get me through. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a starting point. I mean, I, I, it's a starting point, and it's a powerful one. I think that we're leading into something here that's really interesting is curiosity in terms of core values. I mean, I would guess that a lot of us have connection or yeah. something that looks like connection in our core values. I mean, when I overheard the woman talking about her child getting engaged, what she was asking the other women about was, what are your experiences with your mother-in-law? And she was asking it from the perspective of, I'm about to be one. And it was like, holy shit, that's a good question because I am also about to be a mother-in-law. I mean, not only did I find it interesting, but that ability, the curiosity then opens a window for connection, which probably feels good to most of us. We're the kind of people that like connection. And without curiosity, connection is much harder to establish. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I was starting to think, and I don't know, and I don't want it to drift off into the wrong direction. I started to think about how, like, why why don't I, you know, like, why don't I just go into it with curiosity? Why is it something that I sort of have to fake it until I make it? And I think it stems from also, like, introvert tendencies as well as mm-hmm. authenticity as one of my core values, you know, and and feeling like I'm, uh, I want to be authentic and it doesn't feel natural right off the bat to be doing it and therefore I sort of, you know, re- retract a little. But this whole conversation is so fascinating to me and I'm just loving this idea of just purposely and intentionally trying to make that curiosity, uh, you know, um, put that at the forefront. Right. Because, um, go ahead, Janet. I was, I was just going to reflect on um, something that we know from the brain science, which I find really interesting when it comes to this. It sort of brings us back around to what you were saying earlier, Lisa, about beginner mind. Um, that we know that the way toddlers' brains look at the world we all were toddlers so when I say them and us I'm talking about us being adults and them still being toddlers but we've all been there Um, toddlers look at the world as they're like the research and development division of the human species because they because they haven't yet formed these very solid expectations of how the world is and what it means is that they will try stuff out without an expectation of what, it's, what the outcome is going to be. And they don't have a sort of attachment to making judgments about the outcome. So the classic experiment that was, that's been done with toddlers is looking at how they play with that game where you take a triangle-sized a shaped block and you have to put it through the triangle-shaped hole and a circle goes through the circle-shaped hole. What toddlers will do with that Uh, is they will pick up a piece and they'll try it in every hole until it happens to fit the right one and they have no judgment about it. It doesn't work through, you know, they get a triangle, they try to put it through the circle, it doesn't work. There's no sign of any sense of making a mistake or 
I got that wrong or this stupid thing doesn't work. It's just, oh, that was interesting. I'll see what happens next time with this other shape, with this other hole. And then gradually we develop this because, again, it comes back to efficiencies. We actually want to know if we pick up a triangle, we're going to put it through the triangle hole. We're not going to spend our day trying all the different holes. So being able to engage curiosity, it's like um, stepping back into the, the willingness to have to be a researcher, the willingness to sort of approach the mommy group or the networking group or the, you know, the ladies' night, whatever it is, in pure toddler mode, going, I wonder what will happen. Yeah, and I love that. We, we all have been through a part of our lives where we were really good at that. So we can sort of make a choice to say, just for this next hour and a half or whatever it might be, I'm going to engage toddler mode. I'm going to step back into something that I used to be really, really good at. I don't remember it necessarily, but I know that I, I know from the research that I have been really good at this. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of intentionally do that. I, I kind of like that idea for myself. Yeah, I like that too. I think, and it doesn't even have to be, I mean, I think that it's particularly applicable for me today because of mommy group and most of it when it comes to our it exchanges with people, but we can apply that to anything that we're doing. Can I approach this project that I'm working on from toddler mode? Like, can I approach book launch from toddler mode? God, that would make my life feel so much smoother right now. Because there's a lot of things, I've said it over and over again, it's like, I wish I could unsee what I know now about the publishing industry. It's like, well, mm-hmm. fuck, just be toddler. Just, just Amen. Approach. Holy shit, that's so good, Lisa. <laughs> wow. Just be toddler. So, Nikki, do you have any final thoughts? Let's wrap around for final thoughts. You go first, girlfriend, Nikki. Yeah. You know, actually, I did this yesterday. I actually went to an event um, at my library, and I was going through that kind of a thing, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Because, you know, I saw, like, all these, like, moms and these grandmas, right, were, like, in this class. I'm like, I don't have anything in common with these people. You know, this woman was putting away, like, a city cup. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I'm like, I have nothing in common. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm here. You know, I drove out here. And um, actually, this uh, guy, I think she's from, like, India. Like, she was at our table, and she just struck up a conversation. And, um, you know, so it was really good. And then so she ended up asking if I would help her out, like, practicing her English, I guess. And and I was like, that was pretty cool. So I really had a good time, you know, because before I was kind of like, I said, paranoid because, like, you know, everyone's all mobbed out, which is cool. It's just, that's just like not my jam right now, right? So Not my jam you know. either, girlfriend. And then, no, you know, like, I know, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think I have nothing to talk about because, you know what I mean? They're like talking about their kids and all that, which I'm totally down. It's just, that's just not my world. And so I'm just like, you know, people complain about the husbands and I'm like, well, you know, I'm all doing my thing right now, but it ended up being pretty cool, so. I like it. Excellent. Um, Jamie, final thoughts? Um, nothing for me to add, but I, I'm really enjoying the analogy of um, treating it like a toddler and just really going for that curiosity and that um, unattached approach. I really like that. Dude, me too. Janet might have set me free on my book launch angst. <laughs> I, should, I cool. should pay you some money, girlfriend. Janet, any final thoughts? 
Just don't finger I've... paint on your computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually that's a really that's that's a nice segue into the other thing I was thinking because I'm getting excited my own self about you know engaging toddler mode when it comes to to some stuff that I'm doing. And then I thought to myself, the other part of toddler mode that I really like is that toddlers, when they decide they don't like something, they don't waste time <laughs> telling themselves that they ought to engage it because it's the right thing to do or they have to follow some rule or whatever. So when a toddler gets bored with something, they're more than happy to just... Oh, I'm sorry, I've got background noise. There's a truck going past. They're more than happy to just go, you know what, I'm just going to go do my own thing over here now. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I kind of like... I like the freedom that that gives me, the freedom to say, I'm going to go and see what happens over here and then allowing myself to say, if I'm genuinely not finding a way to connect with this particular group or this particular activity, then I also have permission to take toddler mode and say, I'm not playing with that anymore. And that feels very freeing. Yeah, definitely. There's a reason for that too, by the way, when it comes to toddler brain. I mean, we never learn at a faster rate than we do at that age. I mean, our brains are expanding in such a rapid way that it's like that is the, that's the pinnacle in terms of how quickly we're learning, forming thoughts, learning how the world works. I mean, it's, they're superhuman at that age. They're genius at that age. And the reason they follow their curiosity that way is because you are most effective at learning when you're curious. So biologically, as a toddler, your job as a human it, at that point is to do nothing but learn. That's all you're doing all day long. And they shamelessly follow their curiosity because they're wired to be super learners. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. It's a great reminder. So, yeah. I mean, my final thoughts is just kind of a repeat. I mean, this is the most interesting woman in the world course, which I would always flip on its side and say the way to be most interesting is to be most interested. But this is one of those tools that, again, works both ways. It's the way to be most interested. An entree to that is probably always going to be something that looks and feels like curiosity. But, again, we know that it's also the way to be perceived as the most confident and most interesting woman is by using, by backdooring all of that, using curiosity as your primary mode of navigating in situations and around people. So it's sort of, it's a dual tool. It's like a Swiss army knife of, of <laughs> personal lens approach. So yeah, you guys are great. It's been a good conversation. That's awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much, Lisa. I enjoyed it. Thank you. You guys have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Lisa.